a religion in the Middle East, the Muslim countries, it's based on Allah, so it's the Muslim law of, of the uh, law of Allah, and in America it's the uh, Judaic Christian law. So it, it would be well to know something about the foundations of Judaism and Christianity. First of all, Judaism is made up of at least seven different ancient Semitic cults, about seven different ones, and they all came together, and today we call them all together Judaism, but actually Judaism is nothing more than about seven different Semitic cults. One was the cult, one was called the Solar cult, or the worshippers of the sun. One was the Lunar cult. The worshippers of the moon. One of the cults was the stellar cult, worshippers of the stars. One was the Saturnalian, or the worship of the planet Saturn. And then there was one that was called the uh, volcano cult, the worship worship of the volcano. There were many others, but those were the major ones. And all of them came together one day and became known as Judaism. <coughs> And out of Judaism came Old Testament and eventually Christianity. But there's a lot of history in both the Old Testament and Judaism has not been told. I'll show you some of it today. <clears throat> Again, our laws in this country that we're supposedly living under a law is based on the old Judaic law. That's why we have a, a judicial system under the Judaic law. And Moses is the lawgiver, consequently, if you get in trouble in this country, they say you broke the law, you're a lawbreaker, like Moses threw down and broke the law. We're told that Moses took the Israelites <clears throat> out in the morning to pick manna from heaven, the manna from heaven. The word mana simply means in Hebrew, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. All they know, they, they were told, go out and pick it. They eat it. It's interesting you say that, if I can make this yeah, point. The mascot for the Olympics here, name is what is it? <laughs> Bible it says, and when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there was a small round thing, as small as hoarfrost on the ground. 
and it was called Mount. And when the children saw it, they said to one another, It is Mount, for they wished they did not know what it was. So it's called Mount, and it means what is it? But the point I'm bringing out is that it was a small, round thing that grew in the dew in the morning, in the dew in the mist in the morning, a small, round thing grew. And here were the, uh, the characteristics, the characteristics of mana. In Hebrew, what is it? And it's seven characteristics were, it was small, round, flaky, wafer, sweet, hard, melted, and it was from heaven. So it's a small, round, wafer-like thing that was sweet and rather hard and it was called manna or the food of the gods. And we trace back the word manna not to Hebrew but to the ancient Semitic word in books like, and I have about seven different books on this subject, but this is two of them. One book is called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross because we find that the word manna is traced back to the old Semitic word for mushrooms. Here we have the book is a study of the nature and origins of Christianity within the fertility cults of the ancient Near East by John Allegro. The Sacred Mushroom key to the door of eternity, a search for the secret plant of the ancients, used to send the mind to another world and into the future. There is such a fact, it is a factual truth, that certain mushrooms are not just hallucinogenic, but they do release in the human brain a spiritual ability to connect to the God force. And that's a fact. So. It's not just hallucinogenics that we're just seeing visions. There are certain mushrooms that do have that quality that allows the human mind to open up and connect with the universal God force. And so that's a pretty heavy-duty uh, experience when we used to get on certain mushrooms. You start seeing things, some strange things, but then things are real. Peyote is one of Okay, so what we're talking about here is a the book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, showing how the connection between the uh, sacred mushroom and the cross of Christianity. And many of the early church fathers were totally into the use of mana, or the mushroom. Here is the uh, high priest of Israel, and it's important that we uh, show you his headdress. This is the headdress of the high priest of Israel. He's wearing a mushroom. Beautiful, right? Mushroom head. So that's where you get that from, getting the heat. That's that. Exactly. Getting the heat. Yeah. <laughs> Chump is wearing a woman's robe, and but he's a teacher. He's the teacher. Yeah. He's the teacher, and he's teaching people. But from the, uh, but from the use of the hallucinogenic mushroom. But that's important for you to understand why the mushroom and the connection between the symbolism of what he's wearing, the symbolism. Mushrooms have always been worn in the Middle East. 
That's a rather big one there. That looks like the opium pot. <laughs> That's the whole pot there. Now here is a uh, convention of mushroom heads. Here's another bunch. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, a bunch of mushroom heads. Here's a small committee of mushrooms. Here's another small committee of mushroom heads. This guy looked like he'd been on it for a while. <laughs> he is totally quiet in another world. But he's holy. And being holy about him is his underwear. <laughs> there they are, mushroom heads. And almost all the mushrooms always had the female vagina, the female opening, because um, the oval of the female, because drugs were always connected with sex. Here's another one. Here's one of the wise men. Is that a mushroom on his head or what? Now, volcanoes, like any other impressive and fearful aspect of nature, volcanoes have been the object of worship for human beings from the earliest stone age. And now we're talking about volcanoes. Volcanoes have always been an object of worship in the ancient world. The reason why is because volcanoes represented sexual generation. It was God's holy mountain, the holy mountain of fire. And it had to do with the sexual generation of fire in the human body. That's where the word pyramid comes from. Pyramid comes from pyra, mid. Pyra means fire, and mid means middle. It was the fire in the middle. And so the, um, the volcano was very important in the ancient Middle Eastern religions. And that was a symbol of the cult, the volcano cult. Here, the original Yahweh seems to have begun as a volcano god. Mount Sinai, where Moses encounters him, was the seat of the Midianite god who formerly mm. dwelt in the volcano. He, I think, have got. No. He, is, he was also identified with the local moon god Sin, after whom the mountain was named. That's where we get Mount Sinai. Sinai comes from the Mount Sin, and Sin was the name of the moon god who was connected to the volcano worship. So Sinai comes from Mount Sin, the moon god Sin. The appearance of Yahweh in uh, Exodus, Exodus 13, 21, says that Yahweh appears as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. <clears throat> and here's the important part. The word volcano comes from the Latin volcano god Vulcan or Vulcanus. It's derived from the old Christian deity of Vulcanus. So, the word volcano comes from the Latin volcano god Vulcan or Vulcanus, derived from the old Christian deity Vulcanus. Okay. Here is Vulcan, the volcano god, and you will see 
is uh, lightning bolts. And this is sexual generation, the fire of sexual generation, the lightning bolts. And the hammer, of course, was the hammer that was used in communism. It's the hammer and sickle. That comes from the old worship of Thor or the volcano god who has the hammer. But here was Vulcan with his thunderbolts. Would that would that be would would that also be associated with a gavel? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The gavel, the, the gavel comes directly from the thunderbolt and the and the uh, and the uh, the hammer, which is the gavel, the hammer of the gavel, the hammer of the judge, the judge is used. Here is a uh, footnote from the uh, from the. New, from the Old Testament, in the book of Job, here's one of the footnotes in the book of Job. Thus, thunder is called kolah in Hebrew. Thunder is called in Hebrew something called kolah. It means voices, for it is considered the voice of God. So therefore, when you read that the different prophets and the ancient ones heard the voice of God, the voice was kolah in Hebrew, and it means thunder. Well, at that rate, we've all heard God talk. Okay? I heard him, you know, just recently out in California. <laughs> Didn't say much, but I heard him. Here it is again. Closer. Thunder is called kolak, the voices, for it is considered the voice of God. Here is another footnote. I've got a lot of these notes, but this is just another one. It says from Job 37. The storm, the clouds, the storm and the clouds is God's tent, gathered as the thunder, which is, quote, the voice of Yahweh, roars. They descend and God shoots the arrows of his lightning. So we're talking about <coughs> God who has thundering his voice, the voice of Yahweh is thunder, and he descends and God shoots the arrows of his lightning. And from the Hebrew Tograms, the word, the mist, is translated literally as smoke. So now we have smoke and lightning and thunder. And his thunderbolts, again in 37, his thunderbolts. The linear correct translation is God thunders wonderfully with his voice. So what we got here is the God of the volcano with the thunder and the smoke and the lightning. That's what you get with volcanoes, a lot of thunder and lightning and smoke. And that's God when he gets PO'd. That's it. When God gets mad, that's what it looks like right there. Now that's why Moses can go up into the mountain and see a burning bush. Because the whole mountain is burning, actually. Yeah. And when you see uh, Moses comes down with his face glowing, well, your face would glow too if you get up there. So you have to understand where all of this is coming from. Now here we have at Mount Sinai, Jehovah performed signs. The mountain trembled and smoked all over, and millions saw and heard proof that what Moses had made known in God's name was the word of God. There is the children of Israel going to Mount Sinai. That looked like a volcano to you? Here Jehovah led the sons of Israel to a mountain named Sinai in the desert. And there he gave them his law. Now we're talking about the law again. We're all under the law. What law? Well, the Mosaic law. God's law. Okay? 
Well, is that, what does that look like to you? Does that look like a volcano to you? Now, this is all from uh, Hebrew and Christian publications. I got a whole stack of them, but I've just given you a few just to show you a few. I look like a volcano. Here's, here, is, right, here is from the Hebrew uh, Jewish Encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia Judica. The Hebrew Encyclopedia has the uh, the main holidays. Here's Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, Hanukkah, Feast of Purim, Passover. And here on the bottom right is the Feast of the Giving of the Law. It's the Feast of the Giving of the Law. That's from down here on this one. This is from the, Encyclo the Encyclopedia. That looked like a volcano to you? And that's from the Encyclopedia no. Judica. Jewish Encyclopedia. Well, there's the thunderbolts. There's the lightning and the thunder. And you see behind the lightning, you'll see the outline of the sun. See the sun behind it with the spokes? Then you see the lightning, and there's the volcano. That's interesting. They call it the, the Feast of the Giving of the Law right. as the Feast of the First Fruits. Now we've incorporated one of the Feast of First Fruits called Kwanzaa. Mm -hmm. Here's another one on uh, Mount Sinai. There's Mount Sinai. Does that look like a volcano to you with the thunderbolts? Mm -hmm. Now here's Moses throwing down the law and God's Ten Commandments. What's that look like behind you? Does that look like a volcano to you? There's the sun coming up behind it. <laughs> Here's uh, Mount Sinai and the children of Israel running away because they got scared when God talks. <laughs> what we're talking about is the volcano of God. <laughs> and here's Moses. He didn't not only went up to Mount Sinai, <laughs> he jumped in the volcano. <laughs> The one they couldn't find. Yeah, mm -hmm. his face was glowing. Right. Hell yeah, you go up and jump in the volcano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Second degree burn. Hell, <laughs> <laughs> everything on you is going to burn. Glow. Okay, now, remembering, of course, that the volcano god was Vulcan or Volcanus, okay? Here's part two. Now here is a benediction symbol. This is the symbol in the Catholic Church when the Pope blesses you. The blessing is like this. The blessing of you with the cross, the sign of the cross. And the reason why Catholics make the sign of the cross on their chest is because Pharaoh made the sign of the cross. And when he was buried, he buried, was buried with the sign of the cross on his chest. So therefore they make the sign of the cross on their chest. But, here is the benediction symbol, which is a symbol in Hebrew in the Jewish religion to bless you. The Catholic Church anoints you and bless you this way. But here's the way the Hebrew or the rabbis will bless you. If you're a Jew, the rabbis bless you with this symbol from God. Okay. Here it is again. Now, just hold on. We're going to get to it in just a minute. Don't, don't run ahead of me. Don't run ahead of me. Dumb as I am, I ain't that stupid. So I'm just making the point here that this is a benediction symbol in Hebrew. And here we have the Pentateuch scroll crowned 
penitent stole crown with the hands raised in the priestly blessing. There it is again, the priestly blessing. Okay. Now here in uh, Los Angeles at the uh, synagogue, you will see the mushroom head, and he looks like he's really been on it. <laughs> yeah, he's been on it pretty heavy here. Mushroom head, and he's blessing you with Pentecostal blessing. Here is another one. Indeed, the Lord is high, yet he looks upon the lowly. Of course, the Lord is high. The mushrooms all day, even the Lord is going to get high. <laughs> Yeah. Lord is high. Is that why they call them high priests? <laughs> now here's the rabbi, the rabbi at the uh, synagogue with the given the blessing. Okay. Now that's why Mr. Spock, Mr. Spock, is the Vulcan. That's right. See the Hebrew? This is the, the service is closed with the benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee. Here it is. And that's why Mr. Spock is called a Vulcan. Guess who runs Hollywood? The Vulcan. <laughs> We'd be a bit surprised if they had something to do with banking, too. <laughs> banking and Hollywood and all that make-believe. Like, if they make-believe, you're free in a country that you're free. That's just make-believe, though. Don't you go believe in that. <laughs> right. So that takes care of that. Now we have the Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark? Now, how many people know what the Lost Ark represents symbolically? You know what the Ark means? Ark of the Covenant. You know what that means? That, that's a symbol. The, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was the holy box. It represented the female womb. This is the female. This is the female box or womb. That's what the Ark of the Covenant represents. The female box, yeah, her womb. Because out of the box, it's called the Greeks call the female womb Pandora's box. Because you open up a lot of trouble in opening up the box. Anyway, I'm just I'm just telling you what the what the people said is Pandora's box. But it goes back to the old Ark of the Covenant box. Here from the dictionary, it says the idea of the encyclopedia says the idea of the Ark of the Covenant was copied from the Egyptian, the Arcadian, and the Chaldean Ark shrines, which held sacred fetishes, usually of a sexual nature. So that Ark is not Hebrew. It's actually Egyptian. And that's why Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark were looking for the Lost Ark, not in Jerusalem, but in Egypt. Because the whole idea is Egyptian. The whole thing comes from Egypt. They got a damn thing to do with the Hebrew. That's why Indiana Jones, if he's going to find it, needs to go to Egypt. 
And that's why the Nazis were looking for it in Egypt, too. Because that, it, the whole thing, when you're talking about the female box or the Ark of the Covenant, you're talking about sexual reproduction. You're talking about race. That's right. And now you're talking about race and blood. And now you're talking about the Knights Templars, the Masonic Lodge, and who is going to be racially superior on the earth, who is going to hold the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the womb that gives life. So we need to get rid of certain races and pro, and, and and cause others to flourish. Raiders of the Lost Ark. All that has to do with Freemasonry and racism. But they just having fun, making money, and, and, and all over the country, people going to see the movies, thinking it's fun and entertainment. Here is the Ark as it appeared in Egypt. The Ark, and this is from a Bible dictionary. The Bible Dictionary says the word Ark, the word adopted from the Egyptian. Well, that ain't all that they adopted from the Egyptian, but that's just one more example. There's the Ark. It's Egyptian. Not and the angels, remember the angels that were on the mercy seat? Yeah. There's a mercy. Mm -hmm. And the mercy seat the angel's wings came together to make up the opening of the female. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's it. Guy sees him, he said, Mercy. <laughs> mercy seat. Mercy seat. That's it. Now, we can throw this in too very quickly. In Egypt there was a there was a celebration of the first the first spring rains, the rains that came in the spring, and the, the spring rains brought the flood of the Nile. And consequently, they had a celebration of the flood of the Nile, and they call it the, the, the celebration of the coming of the new rains in spring. And so they called it the Arkanoah, the Arkanoah celebration. The Arkanoah is a the moon in the lower quarter. The lower quarter of the moon in spring brought the spring rains. And the celebration of the rains that would overflow the Nile and bring water and and, uh, and, and life and nutrients to Egypt. So they celebrated the first uh, spring rains when they, they celebrated it with the story. And the story was it was a great flood that destroyed the world, the waters of chaos. And the waters of chaos came and destroyed the world and God replenished the earth. And so the celebration was called the Arca Noah. Because in the ancient language, Arca meant wet, and N-O-A, Noah, meant moon. So Arca Noah was the wet moon, celebration of the wet moon. Now the Hebrews came along and said, damn, yeah, that make a good story. <laughs> we can sell this for $29.95. <laughs> 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 yeah, we get your pastor to play this. <laughs> 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 and uh, if we sell that, we'll call it the Ark of And we'll have tools all over the world. <clears throat> the Ark of Noah. <clears throat> Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was there when they said it. Oh, you were? Oh, yeah. About the piece of the wood oh, yeah. the one that he cooked on the stove at home? I was there. I See, I was there. I was I was in the production at the time, in the studio, when they came up with that one. 
And I said, you actually find the Ark of Noah, the guy said, man, he said, we're playing to an American audience. We'll buy in. They'll buy into the big top peewee, Hulkamania, and Budweiser beer. So tell them what they want to hear. They want to hear we found the Ark of Noah. They buy anything in America. They love big top peewee and cartoons and everything. We believe anything here. <laughs> so there it is. There's the Ark of Noah or the Ark of Noah. There it is again. You think it's it the Ark of Yeah, that's where it comes from. Jason the Argonaut. Argonaut. And here it is again. There's the Argonaut with the rainbow and the the double piece on the great ocean. The Ark of Noah or the Argonaut, the wet moon. Now we have something called the Yonai, coming from the old Hindu. And don't take a college graduate to figure out what that represents. <laughs> it's called, in Sanskrit, delicately translated, the womb of the world. The womb of the world of the Yonai. <clears throat> this is from the first century catacombs in Rome. They found these statues. And this is from the first century Christianity in the, the catacombs of Rome. They found these kind of statues, which, you know, that will give you an idea of what the Christianity was really into. It was the sexual reproduction, volcanoes, mushroom, and all the rest of it. And here is the concept, the idea, again, like I said, and you'll see more of them, of the wings of angels or the wings of uh, birds being put together like the female opening, which is a symbolism. Now those look like storks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Brain yeah. Stork, yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah, sure enough. Mm -hmm. Here it is again. Masonic symbolism. Private language of the craft. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's the whole story there. But don't get a little better than that. Here it is, uh, a little bit more explainable. The Arganoa, the female, the mercy seat, and the Ark of and the, uh, the Holy Ark. But now the angel's wings become more demonstrative. You can now see it a lot better. And here it is, the Hebrew. Rabbi with the uh, <coughs> the young eye. Here it is with the bat mitzvah when the Hebrew girl becomes a woman the bat mitzvah. The, the African celebrated the coming out of life. Uh, the Hindu coming out to life from out, out of the womb. Jesus coming out of the womb. And Mary, she is the womb. And here's the uh, here it is again, another one of the gods coming out. And as I said yesterday, in Washington, D.C., we have the Washington Monument. The Washington Monument is, a, is an Egyptian symbol. It comes from Egypt. It's the obelisk. Mm -hmm. The obelisk or the Washington Monument represents the male phalanx. It's the male. Mm -hmm. And it connects with the Oval Office mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. So that's why the president has an Oval Office. He's operating from inside the female. Uh, <laughs>
Now, many of the ancient gods and all the high priests, the ancient gods and all the high priests were called penis heads. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, they are, and they still are. <laughs> They're all a bunch of penis heads. We got a couple around town here, and they're penis heads still. But that's the facts. It's the facts of life. That's the facts. We were called penis The arrogant, pompous, arrogant penis head gods. Right? You see the headdress? You will see the same headdress on the Hebrew high priest. The Jewish high priest wear the same headdress. Pope. And the Pope wears the same thing. The Pope, and this is Hebrew, but the Pope wears the same one. The headdress. Now we have something like the pillar. It's called pillar. That's used in our uh, that's used in our architecture today, pillar. Okay? So pillars are still being used in Western architecture today. But pillars were phallic emblems of many of the gods and heroes. So when you see these pillars, they're phallic emblems of the male. So don't be proud if somebody says you're the pillar of the community. <laughs> 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 well, he's a pillar in the church. Now here we have the uh, the uh, obelisk again. The word obelisk comes from the Greek word meaning a pointed pillar. The old joke that calls the United States' largest modern obelisk Washington's greatest erection. <laughs> so that's the obvious. Now we have something called a lingam. Lingam. The phallus. Uh, this you can read. This we'll read later. But <clears throat> the phallus of the lingam was usually painted red and anointed with holy oil, to which the God, uh, to which the Greeks gave the name of Chrysa. We, we're going to show this again, so I'm not going to go into it right now. You'll see it later. But it says, of course, oil was necessary for the insertion of the stone phallus into the Virgin. Later, the oil itself became a symbol. King's heads were anointed with oil, being likened to the head of the god Phoenix. Okay. Good. Now, yeah. So when you use the term Christ, you hear the word Jesus Christ and Christ. Christ comes from the Greek word Christo. And Christo means oil. So what you're saying, and that's why Christo, Christo oil. Because Christo oil, Christo is Christo. Means oil, period. The anointed one. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're talking about Jesus, the anointed one, or Jesus, anointed one with oil. And it was the insertion of the male into the female with the lubricant of oil. So that's what it is. So when you hear Jesus Christ, don't think it sounds too important or impressive or holy, because there ain't nothing holy about it. Now, 
In the ancient world, there were almost always two twin phallic pillars at the temple gates of the temple openings of the of the great temples in the ancient world. They almost always had two phallic pillars. Um, I I think that's probably symbolism of they're getting you coming and going. You got two of them there, right? When you go to church, you go to the temple. But the point is, is that there was always two phallic pillars, and that's why churches today, when you drive by most churches, you'll see the pointed arch of a door and the long pointed arch glass windows. The pointed arch is the female womb. It's the female opening, the pointed arch. Same way in, in, in uh, Islamic or Muslim architecture. Oh, yeah. The doorways is always arched like that. Right? After that female goddess that became a male, I lacked. That's exactly where it comes from. Precisely where it comes from. And the twin phallic pillars were always found in the beginning of... Well, here it is. It says that in, in the uh, encyclopedia. The Egyptian idea or the Egyptian convention of twin phallic pillars at the temple gate were copied by the temple at Jerusalem, where the right pillar was named Jachin, which means God makes him firm. Right. And the left pillar was named Boaz, leading us in strength. Yeah. That's in the dictionary. Oh, I don't like this. It's an encyclopedia. No. Now we got God, and the word jacket means God makes him firm. <laughs> And even does have strength. I don't know what the hell we're talking about. Here. <laughs> <laughs> this is from the Bible. It's talking about procreation. That's it. Yeah, I guess. It has nothing to do with just procreation. <laughs> but the point is, it's, it's been cleverly hidden in symbolism so that if you don't know what's being said, you will read it one way, but you're not understanding what it's really talking about. And if you're not understanding, then you're proud, like the preachers in the churches go out and they're proud talking about Jack and Boaz. You haven't got the faintest idea of Jack and Boaz. Church says amen. Here it is, temple built by Solomon. What do you think? There it is, Jacob and Boaz, and the temple built by Solomon. And there it is, Solomon's temple. That's the lotus at the top. That's right, the lotus at the top. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are we recording this too? I'm just hitting the light spots, and I'll get some heavy-duty stuff coming in now. Now, here is the uh, ground plan for the Temple of Solomon. Here's Solomon's Temple, the ground plan. And you'll see there Jacob and Boaz, and there's the Holy, and then there's the Most Holy. 
and we are told that there's a veil between the holy and the most holy. Okay? And the only way you can get to God is tear through the veil. Mm -hmm. Now that's why Dr. Ben says that heaven is between a black woman's legs. That's exactly right, but that's exactly what it meant. That's what it meant. It meant heaven. Heaven was the paradise. Mm -hmm. And the paradise was based on the old ancient Semitic terms and words. And that's what it all meant. And you'll see as it, as it, as it unfolded here. Here is the, the uh, holy and the, the veil and the most holy. And in the most holy you have the Shekinah light. Remember the Shekinah light was in the most holy? That's Shekinah light, not Hekinah. Shekinah, as female. But consequently you have the holy, the most holy, and then you get the veil. The veil, of course, is the veil separating in the virgin, the veil that is pierced. Right. Now, here it is again enlarged, so you can see the ground plan. <laughs> it looks very holy here until you do it this way. Now you can understand what it's really representing. It's the male inside the female. Okay. So that's the most holy. So when you hear all the rabbis and the Jewish people talk about, oh, the most holy of Israel. And all the Lord is in his temple in the most holy. Otherwise, yeah, what He's in the temple, better watch out. So just remember when you have all this talk of religion about the Holy Israel, the most holy, what it's really talking about. You see, I don't have any problem with this. I just like when you tell me the truth once in a while. Tell me where it really comes from instead of playing me for a fool. Right. So then everybody talks about how holy Israel and how holy the temple, that great and holy temple in Jerusalem. Oh, nothing holy about it. One thing holy about it. Is the story. The story is full of holes. <laughs> and here's the the uh, the temple downtown Los Angeles, the facade of the uh, Hebrew temple. There's the two phallic symbols. There they are, the, the twin phallic pillars. Same idea. Just giving you an idea about how it's it's everywhere. That's why when you drive by churches, you'll see the steeples, church steeples. Church steeples represent the male phallic. So when you drive by the churches, you see the male phallic in symbolism. Just remember, and this is exactly why today the Jews in Jerusalem and the Jews in Europe prayed, out, prayed to their God when Adolf Hitler was killing Jews. And they looked to their God. Jehovah and Yahweh to save them, but there was no God to save them from Adolf Hitler's hands. That's why from thousands of years the Jews have looked to God to save them. And no one has come to save them.
today Christians all over the country are praying to God to save them from this terrible thing that's happening to our land. And there ain't no God saving them. And they're losing their homes, they're losing their children, they're losing their families to drugs, their wives, families are breaking up, and the more they pray, and the more the, the catastrophes come, and there's no God coming to save them. Why? Because they're worshiping the wrong God. There ain't no God coming to save you. You just keep on worshiping the big phallic symbols and the female openings and the mushrooms and all that stuff. And when what you dread comes, like the scripture says, when what you dread comes, don't come running to me. You love it. You crawl all around in it and you just love worshiping at the church and worshiping and doing all that silly stuff you call yourself doing. And when the trouble comes, don't go looking to God. Because the only thing there is to do with God is that great spiritual force between you and that divine creator and ain't got nothing to do with any of this. This is religion. So if you want to de depend on the God of religion, don't look for him to come helping you because he ain't coming back. There ain't no Messiah coming back. The only Messiah you got is in you with that divine force in the universe that makes you who you are. When you give that up and give it to somebody else, you don't have nothing. All you got is this. Yeah. yeah. So you might as well go in and expect it because you're going to get it. Right? That's right. And here we have the Ambassador College in Pasadena, the Worldwide Church of God. You heard of Herbert W. Armstrong? I read both his books. Yeah. And I signed my Bible. Well, here's the Ambassador College in Pasadena. Okay. See, this is just a. Here's this picture up here, enlarged. What's that look like to you? Say it again. Robert Armstrong, was he aware of all this? Oh, sure. As dumb as he is, that's stupid. Sure. Of course he did. But he was a British Israelite Freemason. I have all of his documents. Reverend W. Armstrong. He said he had a dream where a big angel came down in the middle of New York City street, gave him and his wife prophecy. Give, give them what? Gave them a prophecy <laughs> just to go out and teach the world about the coming of the kingdom of God. They're probably going to be dead. That's probably uh, Rockefeller was in New York. And he said, Chuck, I want your ass <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was an angel from New York. His <laughs> yeah, name was wait. David. We <laughs> call him just David Rockefeller. And when you understand angels and death, you will see he is an angel. That's right. Angels, uh, according to uh, I, Frederick I, who wrote in the book, uh, what's the name of it? The Pope's Barrel Unzip. Uh -huh. Angels were what the Pope called young male homosexuals from Northern Germany. Yeah. We're not in Germany. That's the name. 
Then you understand all of this and what it's based on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is in Israel, okay? Now, this is in Israel. This is where the Dead Sea Scrolls are kept. This is, the, this, this is where the Dead Here's where the Dead Sea Scrolls are, are kept. And they built this thing, and the whole idea is the same concept. That's what you want to take. That's it. You got it. Now, here we have something called anointing with oil. Now, remember, we were reading this a while ago anointing with oil. This is from the Bible. All right, so we're talking about getting anointed with oil. It says, kings were anointed. The kings were anointed with holy oil at their coronation to show that they were consecrated to God. The term Messiah comes from the Hebrew Mishiah, meaning anointed one. Okay? So kings were anointed with holy oil at their coronation to show that they were consecrated to God. The term Messiah comes from the Hebrew Mishiah, meaning anointed one. One of the kings or high priest being with holy oil. Here is another prophet of God being anointed in the head with holy oil. Here is uh, Saul being anointed in the head with holy oil. This actually goes back to the Egyptian anointing with holy oil. The Phalus, and here's the one we were reading before. Uh, I got a better blow up of this one. The Phalus or the Lingrum was usually painted red, anointed with holy oil, to which the Greeks gave the name of Chrysum. Thus, the divinely begotten one was given the name of Christos, meaning anointed. Jesus the Christos, or Jesus the anointed. Of course, oil was necessary to the insertion of the stone Phalus into the Virgin. Later, the oil itself became a symbol. God, kings' heads were anointed with oil, being like at the head of the god Penis. So when you hear all these wonderful kings of Israel were anointed in their head, that's because the people looked on them as big penises. Yeah. Now, when you, when you look at that, I, I can't help but draw the association in words. When you look at that, it's called, in Greek, called chrism. Mm -hmm. All right? Yeah. Now, when you get mm -hmm. there into uh, street terminology here. Yeah. It's called jism. Yeah. So you see, I mean, you draw the association. Of course there is. There's always uh, word association, mm -hmm. phonetics. There's always going to be association symbolically in languages. This is um, one of the uh, ancient gods being anointed with with holy oil, anointing the phallic with holy oil. And that comes from the first century, one of the first century um, statues in Rome. Yeah. So the next time you hear someone talk about Jesus Christ, just remember Christ means chrysum, which is the oil of anointing. And that's what it all means. So don't expect me Jesus Christ to come back and save you. <laughs> right. Huh? A lot of people like me, myself, pray for Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, well, you're praying to a big Peter. Why don't you pray to the God that created you? That's right. That's right. There ain't no name. But you know who he is, and he knows who you are. And that's all you need to know. Huh? No. No. No, that, that divine creator, that divine creator knows who you are. That's why the Bible clearly says if you're going to serve God, you serve him in spirit and truth. Period. That's all you need to do to serve God, is serve him in spirit and truth. It didn't say church and spirit and truth, it just said spirit and truth. Period. Now, circumcision, we're told in the Bible is a very holy, holy thing. Circumcision, you have to be circumcised. And the Lord God had Israel all circumcise their males, because that was a very holy thing. The fact of the matter is, after you get past all that silly stuff, the fact of the matter is, circumcision was around in the ancient Egyptians before Hebrews ever existed. And the ancient peoples all circumcised their males. And it wasn't because God was so holy, they circumcised their young males because the whole of worship was the worship of sex. And consequently, the male phallic would become an erection, would get an erection quicker without the foreskin than it would with the foreskin. And since consequently we're promoting sex worship, we cut the male's foreskin. So he will get an erection quicker. So when you read in the Bible about how Jehovah, the Yahweh, ins uh, uh, instructed the children of Israel to be circumcised, and that was very holy, think about it. What is holy about messing with another guy's penis? <laughs> and then think about it. What is holy about cutting the foreskin off of another guy's penis? First of all, if God created man and he was perfect, then what are you doing corrective surgery on his penis for? <laughs> if, God if God didn't want the foreskin on there, he wouldn't have put it on him when he created him. And if he put it on him, that's because God saw that he was perfect and he don't need you to go cutting the foreskin off because you want to promote sex worship. So you just keep praying to your God and ain't nothing going to work out. Because all you're into is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And of course, we got the we got the cross, and the cross was called the key to life. The key to life, and there it is, the key to life. And it was the key to life. There's the female, and there's the male, and that is, of course, the key to life. And here's uh, an Aztec god, an old Aztec god. Um, this is an old Aztec god who dies on the cross. I've got about 25 different pictures of ancient gods in the prehistoric and ancient world who died on the cross. So the whole idea of, of, a, of a god dying on the cross, that ain't nothing new. Hell, the ha Aztecs had that. The, the, the Messiah who dies on the cross. And we get into that, I'll explain that later if you want me to. I'll get into the, the uh, astro-theology, explain to you where all of the symbol, symbolism came from. If we have enough time, if you want me to, I'll get into that later. <coughs> Here we have um, the old Babylonian Sumerian symbol of the sun with two wings. 
the, the winged son. Remember how the Bible says Jesus said, if I, I'd like to gather you under my wing, because the son, God's God's son, the light of the world. The son always had wings. And that's why in America, Freemasonry in America is referred to as the sun order. In a Freemasonry is referred to as a sun order. And that's why in America we only have left-wing and right-wing politics. The two wings of the great sun order. Yeah, French Grand Orient Temple Masonry. That's why our colors are red, white, and blue from France. And of course France got the red, white, and blue from Solomon's Temple. Red, white, and blue covered in black. And here it is again, God's sun with the wings. Here is... Um, the worship of Osiris with the Ka symbol on the on the uh, the Ka or the raised hands, the Ka symbol which symbolized the worship of Osiris or the worship of the sun. Raised hands. Here's uh, Horus, of course. Horus. Here is um, the um, yeah, but uh, it's it's actually the symbolism is the sun in the constellation of Aries, the ram, the sun, for the 2,125 years in the age of Aries, the ram. Consequently, today the Hebrews blow the ram's horn because they're worshiping the ancient god of Aries, the ram, God's sun. And so today we see the Hebrews blowing the ram's horn and oh my god, that is so holy and so righteous and they got the big Peter heads blowing the, the horns and, and it yeah, and it looks so holy and righteous until you figure out what all this is. That's the same old worship of the Ram God of Egypt. And the idea is that the Messiah was being celebrated. The Messiah is the Son. God's Son. S U N, not S O N. God's Son, the light of the world. Of course the Son's the light of the world. Well he is risen. Well, that's what the sun does. Every morning it rises. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the ancient Egyptians said as long as the sun rises every morning, there will always be life on the earth. As long as the sun comes up on the earth, on the earth there will always be life. So consequently, the sun became synonymous with everlasting life because the sun, God's sun, will guarantee you everlasting life on the earth, not for you, because you're going to die, but on the earth, there will always be everlasting life. But not for you. So in other words, as an individual, you're going to die, but the earth will always have everlasting life, as long as God's Son, because that's His gift to the world. And consequently, they realize that all the life on the earth, all life on the earth comes from the Son. And the sun was giving energy. It gives out its energy so that the plants and you consume the energy and you stay alive. So therefore, God's sun is giving his life energy. He's giving his life so that you may live. And I say, bring me some stuff like that. Well, you better go back and read this stuff right. Because there ain't no savior coming to save you. He's already here. 
I'm talking to it. You look in the mirror, and that's it. That's as far as it goes. And if you don't stand up for yourself and, and act like you were created by God and start acting like a creature, a creature of God and serving God in spirit and truth, then that guy, can, you don't expect him to come help you. But you will notice something. If you do start facing up to facts and do start turning inward inside of yourself and start trying to get spiritually straight with that universal God force, watch what begins to happen in your life. All kinds of strange things begin to happen. Doors open up. Knowledge begins to open up to you. Things begin to, you, it's almost as if you're being protected and you, God is coming to help you and you're opening your mind up and things are starting to happen around you and you don't know how, why it's happening. That's because your family got it straight. Yes. Should we continue reading King James Version? You can read and worship anything you want to. But know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's it. You got that right. According to who? That's why the King James. Yeah, the King James is called the authorized version because it was authorized by the king. Now, anybody who knows anything about King James knows he was a homosexual murderer that raped boys and then killed them after he raped them, and then would go out hunting and kill large animals and cut them open and lay in the blood. So he obviously had some problems. <laughs> and he's the one that authorized the new, the, the, the Bible, the King James Bible. So that's why it's called the authorized version. He didn't give you the real one. This is the authorized version. This is where you're supposed to read it, as far as the king's concerned. Well, most of the teachers who talk about the authorized version, they state that, uh, that he has nothing to do with it. Oh, of course, of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But you guys know as well as I do that if the king of England uh, uh, hires you to do some translating, he's going to check it out before he puts his name on it. And if you put anything in there that he don't like, you got to know that he is the king and he can take it out. When you look, when you look and see, and you you know the scholars that he chose to write, they were all Freemasons. Freemasons, absolutely. And 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 there you have in the connection. The connection. You just look at where they came from. They were all Freemasons and Rosicrucians. Yeah. So that therefore, the king would say, "Here's here's here's the deal. You translate it." And if you put something in there you I don't like, you can bet I'm gonna take it out. Oh yeah, absolutely. We know how much was taken out by King James. We know exactly what was taken out. There's document there are books written about all the things, here are the things that King James took out of the Bible. That here's what was in it originally and here's what he authorized. But see he didn't authorize this, so he took it out. Do you have access to book His original one? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a, co a photocopy of it. It's a it's a very difficult book to find. Probably so. If I I could run you off a copy, it's a thick one though. Demonology by by King James. King James wrote a book called Demonology. 
Well, why not? Why not King James? He knew all about it. <laughs> he, 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 was, he was asking for some authentication. Yeah. He, one, one is a secret way that uh, the literary the scholars, the head man signed it when it was completed yeah. in 46 songs. 46 words from the front and 46 words from the back will give you Shakespeare. Yeah, good. But it wasn't Shakespeare. You see. Yeah, Shakespeare was probably a code name. It, it, it is a code name for, yeah. uh, for a society, for writings, a, a literary society. Uh, that's, that's a whole thing on that up here in Manly P. Hall's book on Shakespeare. Manly P. Hall's book on Shakespeare. Yeah. Where Shakespeare was not an actual man, it was the signature of a society. A secret society, the uh, and if you spell out their their agenda, it spells out Shakespeare. So it was a it was like a writing society that was promoting an idea, but and they made it look like it was one man's writing. But the uh, the idea I, I will get into later, but it has to do with the preeminence of the British over the rest of the world. The British and the English. British comes from the Hebrew word berith. Berith means a contract or a covenant. And ish means man or men. Therefore British is berith-ish, which means the men of the covenant or the men of the new covenant. Hmm. And the men of the new covenant are going to be, and the new covenant of course is the, is the New Testament, um, which is the promise for a kingdom that will unite the world. God's kingdom, and it will unite the world. That's why England is called the United Kingdom. And when the King of England is crowned, listen, what, listen to what the Archbishop of Canterbury, when he reads to the new king his, his oath of office, it says that something to the effect that you are taking this position of King of England for Jesus Christ. And until such time as Jesus Christ comes back, you, the King of England, are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, see, if Jesus don't come back, then you're God. You're as close to God as anybody's going to get. Yeah. But that's interesting when you see that the King of England is, is the Vicar of Christ, and then the Pope says, wait a minute, wait a minute, what just went on here? You say you were the Vicar of Christ? And the king said, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm standing in for Jesus. And the Pope said, what you think I'm doing here? Yeah, you, be, you got a problem here. And so they broke apart. I sincere with the Pope last week on well, of course, there's a great danger. You're going to be killing Catholics. Hell, he he needs Catholics. <laughs> That's it. And the more Catholics that die, and the more Protestants that are born. That's the whole idea behind the, the, the abortion thing. The Catholics don't, uh, the Pope does not want abortions because he don't want people killing Catholics. He wants Catholics to have 6,500 babies. Because every time you have a baby as a Catholic, that's one more vote for the Catholic. Uh, they're very much connected. Yeah, the Catholic Church is a Masonic, uh, Semitic Masonic order. That's why the Pope wears the Jewish yarmulke. 
Yeah, that's right. I'll get into that later, showing you how both of them know that there's no conflict at all. It's ordo ob chao, order out of the chaos. Here is another classic example. This is the ancient Incas. And they're up on the altar. There's the altar. And they're worshiping God's son on the altar. So when you go to church and you see the priest up on the altar and he's worshiping God's son, just remember, hell, the Incas were doing that thousand years before Christianity. Incas, Mayas, Aztecs, the Toltecs of, of Mexico, the Egyptians, everybody else, they all worship God's son. The light of the world. Of course the sun's the light of the world. But just as you have seen him go away on a cloud, he will come back and return on the cloud. That's right. Go out here in the ocean at night and watch and see if the sun don't leave the world on a cloud. And check it out tomorrow morning when it comes up in the morning and see if it don't come up on a cloud. So just as you see him leaving on a cloud, that's the way you're going to see him coming back, is on a cloud. Well, yeah, but that's just the, just the sun. Well, that's all we're talking about, Jack, is just the sun. That's right. That's right. That's where that's where the confusion comes in. It was originally S O N to S U N. S U N is S O N. Sun, sun. Yes, you transpose the word, and one is real and one's a symbol. And Jesus is the symbol of the sun, God's sun. That's why he has twelve helpers. The twelve apostles are the twelve tribes of Israel, and the twelve brothers of Joseph. And the twelve great prophets of Israel. Everything's twelve. The twelve brothers of Joseph. The twelve tribes of Israel. The twelve apostles. What do you think the twelve is? It's the twelve months of the year. The twelve constellations. The twelve signs of the zodiac. The great seal. Of course. It's the, it's the twelve signs of the zodiac. And they hang out with God's son. Well, of course they hang out with God's son. As a matter of fact, that's all that's all the sun does is hang out with them chosen twelve. And that's why remember the stories the story is is that Jesus was betrayed in the temple. Okay? This part of your brain up here where your head is is called your temple. And Jesus is symbolically the, the truth and the light. He said, I am the truth and the light. He doesn't say, I, I represent the truth and the light. He said, I am the truth and the light. Because the sun is the truth and the light. Because at nighttime, you can't tell what's going on. But when the sun comes up, that is the truth. You will see it right here. You're in the light. And so therefore, the sun says, I am the truth and the light. Therefore, if you turn away from the truth, when someone's giving you the truth, but you can't handle it, and you turn away, and you turn back, that's the way you react to something that's too bright. If the wisdom that's being given to you is too brilliant, and you can't handle the light, you turn away from it, because that's too bright. That's it. So therefore, that's right, you can't handle the light. So the point is, you just put to death, you just cause and made the judgment. You made the judgment to put to death God's Son. Where? In the temple. You just decided you don't want to hear it no more. That's it. So you just give him the judgment. He's going to die. 
Now, when he dies, where does he die? Where does the truth and the light die? In your head. Skull place, Galgatha, the place of the skull. Oh, yeah, the tree of life is the chakra that goes up to the brain, right. And in relation to George Washington cutting the tree and keeping the booming there's all kinds of connections can be made. But I'm just saying that that's where we put to death God's Son is in Galgotha, or place of the skull. In other words, in your head. That's where you put the light in the truth. In your head. That's why I say my people are destroyed for the lack, lack of knowledge. knowledge. So the original version of the Bible, what's happening? Where is it? I don't know what's happening. Number one, what is the original version? Yeah, yeah, that's a big question. Jesus then what happened to it? Okay, you said uh, that the apostle left out. Yeah. And, uh, okay, and you said you had access to those books. Yeah. So, but, I, but that's not even important. What is actually important is the original original, not even the one that King James got a hold of and he messed up, but you need to go back to the actual original writings from whence the Bible came from. If you go back to those original originals, now that's where you're really getting into the serious stuff. And that's the Naj Hammadi manuscripts of Egypt, that's the Dead Sea Scrolls of the Qumran community. Right. And then when you get, when you, once you've gone through the Naj Hammadi manuscripts, uh, the Naj Hammadi library in Egypt, and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and find out what's really in the Dead Sea Scrolls, then you're ready for Gerald Massey, and Albert Church Ward, and Godfrey Higgins, and the whole story begins to open up big time, right here. I'll give you the books right over here. Gerald Massey. That's it. Once you, once you've got that, Yeah. Then you wake up and find out that there's a whole world of knowledge that you, you haven't been told. And they figure that that's a... That I've had priests and ministers tell me that that kind of information right here is on a need-to-know basis. And poor folks don't need to know. They all know it. They went to seminary, they know this. Why do you think they call it a seminary? Cemetery. Seminary. That's it. <laughs> they go to seminary to learn how to give it to you. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> When we're told that that we're told that the Messiah dies with the crown of thorns, remember? Okay. Now the crown of thorns is like the Statue of Liberty has the crown of thorns because the sun, the sun, the sunburst is a crown of thorns. Right. See the rays of the sun. All these are ancient. Here's the old ancient Assyrian god in the first century. See the rays of the sun? Here's the crown of thorns, the sun rays. The rays of the sun are the crown of thorns. The Statue of Liberty has the crown of thorns. Now here, this chump has God's son in his heart. <laughs> That's it. So therefore, when, when you hear Christians say, I've just got the Lord in my heart. 
And so, shoot, man, that, that, lots of people got that. That's <laughs> the sun in your heart. Now, here is an Aztec priest. Now, you know, people, you've heard, you've heard Christians say, you've heard church people say that they have given their heart to the Lord. Okay, I'll show you where that comes from. Here's where that comes from. The Aztec priest offers up the heart of a sacrificial victim to the sun god. There's God's son. See? There's God's son. See the fire? And there's the sun. And here's the priest, and he's offering up some chump's heart. See? So he's offering up a heart to God. Now, of course, he's not offering up, incidentally, He's not offering up his heart. He's offering up somebody else's heart. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here he is. See, the Aztec human sacrifice. He's offering up his heart, somebody else's heart to God's son. So, whenever you hear somebody say, yeah, I gave my heart to the Lord. Well, that chump did too. But he didn't give it willingly, but he gave it to God's son. So that's why it don't impress me to hear somebody say, well, I gave my heart to the Lord. Oh, are you kidding? Only for a few moments, though. Not for long. <laughs> that's what the Aztecs used to do. They cut open the chest and pull out the heart and offer it up to God. They give God's son their heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, here is the fish god, Dagon, from the old ancient Hindu. Dagon. Or Dagon. Dagon. Yeah. What's the big muscle guy? Art Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When he going to raise Dagon with the horn in the head. Yeah, right. Well, there it is. And that's where we get, that's where we get the story of Jonah and the whale. goes back to the ancient Hindu. The Hindu... We're talking about 3,500 years before Christianity. The Hindus had the story of the great prophet who was swallowed by the fish. Now, one of these slides, maybe it's about the fifth one now, I was trying to interrupt. You didn't comment on that, but which one was that? It looked like it had a sun and a face coming out, but you skipped that one. Oh, oh, no, that was just, just showing you that priest are worshiping the sun. Just one more priest worshiping the sun. Because all priests... Well, you didn't have on the mushroom head, I didn't know. Yeah, well, no, no, not all of them. Just the Hebrews had on the mushroom head, you know, but... Um, all priests in the world worship the sun. All of them. Everybody dresses different, and looks different, and says different things in different languages, but that's all the same thing. They're still worshiping sex, drugs, and the sun. That's it. So that's the bottom line. Yeah, and that's it. What you see is what you get. Right. And here's the fisher god. Here's the god again, the fish god. Now, this is Dagon, the fish god. Okay, now let me show you here. Here's Anis, one of the old ancient Anis, the fish man. He's an ancient god in the, in the Babylonian Sumerian system. He was called Anis, the fish god. Okay, and he's wearing a fish's. Now, here is a Assyrian king or god wearing the fish head. See it? Now, when you see the Pope, see, when you see the Pope, 
the Pope is wearing the fish head, see? So here's the chump wearing the fish head. And there it is. You should have known there's something fishy about this thing to start with. <laughs> should have smelled something wrong to start with. Then it then they went on to Scandinavians took it and they had free Precisely, and that's why they eat fish on Friday. Friday comes from Freya. And Freya is the fish god. Therefore, the Roman Catholics eat fish on Friday to honor the fish god. That's right, of course. That's right. And that's why all the fish markets are not going to care that I'm out here blowing the whistle on them. It's incredible. Okay, now that's part one. How did they know how to make the symbols that not the last slide, if you had not shown that, I would not have known, maybe some other people. So how did they know to make it that it will not appear to be what it is? Well, if, you don't know, if you don't know what it is, it don't make no difference what they make. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't know what the story is, they can make it any way. Anyway. Anyway. Now, I have a lot more. I have a lot more. You were saying about this picture. I want to tell the audience something. I got a lot more yet. Represented. Okay. Is that is that restaurant next door open? Yes. Yeah. Could somebody get a couple of those uh, drinks that we had here before? The ginseng. Yeah, the ginseng. Somebody could go over and get a couple of the ginseng drinks. And then I'm gonna get on with this. If you understand that the twelve apostles were based on the twelve signs of the zodiac, or the twelve months of the year, 
okay? One of the signs of the zodiac is Virgo, Virgo the Virgin, right? That's one of the signs of the, of the, of the zodiac, of Virgo. And in the sign of Virgo the Virgin, she's holding a baby, and the baby is called the newborn one, or the sent one, the anointed one. Consequently, when the sun moves into the constellation of Virgo, it is said that God's son is born of a virgin. Virgo the virgin. And that's what it means. And Jesus is said to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion is Leo, the constellation of Leo in the summer. Then we're told that Jesus was uh, betrayed in the temple. And uh, Judas, in order to identify him so he could be killed, went out and kissed him. He gave him the kiss of death. He went out and kissed him. Is that right? That's where we get the idea, the kiss of death. Because, because when uh, uh, the, the, the whole thing has to do with this, to understand why Judas kissed him, it has to do with the scorpion. Fall is in the is in the constellation of Scorpio. Scorpio is one of the constellations of the zodiac, Scorpio. And that is late October, October 23rd to November. In the into the middle of November. So it's late October into November, which brings on fall. And consequently fall betrays God's son who is going to now die in winter. The sun is now going to die in winter. And consequently, the constellation of Virgo is the scorpion. And it is a very interesting point about scorpions that most people don't know. If you get stung by a scorpion, scorpions have two stingers, not one, one on top of the other. And if you get stung by a scorpion, they will tell you in the Middle East that it looks just like a human lips. That's what the incision looks like. If a scorpion stings you, it looks like a top and a bottom lip. And so, therefore, the ancient people called the scorpion's bite the kiss of death. That's why the mafia on, on Malta, Malta has many scorpions, so that was, the mafia said that when they were getting ready to kill you, it's like the, it's like the kiss of death. They give you the kiss. That's not because they love you, that means you're dead. Go lay down somewhere, because you're dead. So they give you the kiss of death. Consequently, Scorpio or the scorpion, which is a symbol of fall, Scorpio, late October, early November, gives the kiss of death to God's son, because in December it's winter and he's going to die. And then, I might as well go and finish this off. I'll finish this off. Something happens in December that's very interesting that most people don't know. The ancient people knew it because they saw it. We don't, we don't know it. The, the, the calendar, the round sun calendar, like the Aztecs, the Mayas, and the Incas, and all the Egyptians, everybody had the round sun calendars. The calendar had 360 degrees or notches in it, 360 of them. 
It was called a 360-degree circle. And then they had the, uh, the stob in the middle, which was the sundial. And so each day the sun would hit the stob and hit on a degree. And so each day the sun would move one degree. Each day the sun would move, and I'll, I'm going to go back to the pictures in just a minute. Each day the sun would move one degree on the round sundial. And at the end of the year, it would start here, at the end of the year it would have moved all the way around to the 360th, and that's, that's what we call a solar calendar, 360 days. But they didn't work out, so the Egyptians added five days, and today we call it the, the, uh, the calendar we have now is 365 days. But the point is, is that every year the sun moves further and further south. And the further it goes south, the colder it gets. Until finally it hits the lowest point, I guess, this is south, the lowest point in the southern sky. And when the sun hits the lowest point, and it's not going to go any further, that happens on December 22nd. December 22nd the sun moves into the southern sky at the lowest point. Right. And, and so f on December 22nd, on the sundial, the sun hits on a particular degree. And on the 23rd, it's still on the same degree. And on the 24th, it's still on the same degree. The sun does not, it goes all the way down. Each day it's moving one degree, one degree each day, until finally it hits down and the lowest point and something happens where it does not move on the sundial for three days. For three days it comes up and on the sundial is on the same degree. The ancient people said anything that's been moving all year long in a stop, it's dead for three days. So the sun is in his tomb for three days. God's sun died for three days. That's right, because it was moving all year long and it ain't moving for three days. That means it must be dead. And then on December 25th, the sun, the dial moves one time backwards, one degree backwards on the sundial backwards, which means now it's going to start coming back toward the northern hemisphere. It's coming back. So each day it rises and rises and it's getting warmer and warmer until the first day of spring. So on the first day it rises is on December 25th. Therefore, today, we celebrate God's birthday, God's son's birthday on December 25th. That's right, because the sun was dead for three days. Now, it moved again. So anything that was dead for three days and starts moving again has got to be born again. So therefore, we're all going to be born again. So now the sun starts coming back to the northern hemisphere because we don't celebrate his birth. And he's born on December 25th. Now, as the sun's coming back and it gets up here to the first week of spring, all of a sudden life comes back to the earth. Boys chasing the girls, women chasing the guys, everybody's drinking, and, and, the, and the, uh, uh, life has come back to the world. All the plants are growing, and everybody comes back to life. All the animals come out from hibernating, and it's good times again. Consequently, right, so consequently... The sun had died in winter and was dead for three days. Therefore, we are celebrating, and there, even today we say, when someone dies, we say, Grandmother passed last night, or they passed on, or they passed away. But the word pass is always in it. They passed last night, right? 
But the ancient people said that, the, that when you died, you passed over. Because, see, you were here, but you died. Now you're over there, wherever there is. Well, that's where you are now, because you passed over. From the east bank to the west bank. That's originally from the east to the west bank, right. But the point was that you had passed over to another life. Therefore, the, moon, the sun was dead in winter. It's come back in the spring. So the ancient people, 2,000 years before Hebrews ever existed, they celebrated the first week of spring, and they called it the Passover. So today, we celebrate the Passover, a very holy occasion. No, it's the first week of spring. Damn. <laughs> Ain't nothing holy about that. First week of spring. And then, the Christians celebrate the resurrection. Of course the sun's resurrected. It was dead in the winter, and it come back in the spring. Now it's resurrected. And therefore... You've got to have, now, now you understand where the Passover comes from. The Passover is nothing but the sun that passed over from the death of winter to the new life of spring. It passed over. Uh, what, I don't know what's so special about that. It happens every year. From the low to above the celestial equator. Right. <laughs> I love it. Now, if you understand that, for the first time you will understand why God is referred to as He. Why God is the as uh, the as He, we refer to God as as Him, and He. Why couldn't God be a sheep? I mean, after all, a woman's the one that gives birth to the babies, and the woman's creating life. And if only God can create life, well, that's what the woman does. Well, the ancient people said the woman represented God, not man. Man represented a lot of things, but God ain't one of them. <laughs> right. So if there's anything godly, or nurturing, or holy, or righteous, it's the woman, not the man. And consequently, the ancient peoples understood that. And they had goddesses. And the very earth was your mother. Mother Earth. Mother Nature. The earth was your mother. And therefore, in the spring, when the rains came, that's the sacred fluid impregnating Mother Earth. Now, if Mother Earth is being impregnated by that sacred fluid, it must be from the Father who is in heaven. And that's where we get the idea of God the Father. They know God the Father. It's just rain in coming in to impregnate Mother Earth. The original God in the Hindu religion, one of the absolute oldest gods in the Hindu religion, his name was Rain, R-A-I-N. That's why today we call the sacred fluid that falls from heaven rain. But that's where it comes from, the god rain, who was the great male who impregnated Mother Earth. And consequently, you can't have that kind of, you see, you can't have that kind of activity, the father impregnating the mother, unless you have a wedding first. You don't want to be doing that kind of stuff until after the wedding, right? So consequently, in the ancient world, in the ancient world of Phoenicia, Canaanites, the Phoenician, Canaanites, Sumerians, and all that area around Babylon, they celebrated the first rain as being the first conception from the male into the female. So they celebrated that first spring rain, and they called it the marriage feast of Cana, where Mother Earth, Asked God's son to draw water so he can make grapes grow into wine. So therefore he transposes water into wine. Of course he's transposed. 
he draws the water and makes it rain on the grapes, and we're going to have wine. And spring, we all get drunk and go out and chase women. That's it. That's the name of the marriage feast of Cana. All of these are nothing more than stories. They're just stories. That's why the Bible is called the greatest story ever told. Not the greatest. It's not the greatest collection of facts. It's the greatest story. Why? Because it's the oldest story in the world. That's why it's the greatest story. As a matter of fact, it's the only story in the world. Hell, this one goes all the way back to day one. And every culture has told it different. Every culture has their own story. The Egyptians had their story. And their city, where they worshipped God some, was called On. The Greeks call it Heliopolis, but it was actually called On. That's why when you walk in a room, you flip a light on. Because it was a city of the sun, light. And consequently, every culture has always told the same story. But the problem is, the story originated in Africa. It originated in Africa, on the Nile. It was picked up eventually, and there were even cultures before that, but they were not as prominent, and they had not codified this belief system. The Babylonians and the Sumerians, they had the same ideas, same stuff. But the Egyptians took it, and they made it into a religion. And they codified it and wrote it down. And if you're going to do it, do it this way. And they had it whole, all written down. And when you understand it all and begin to read it, it all makes sense. That's why the Bible's called the greatest story ever told, because it's the same story that's been told from day one. It's just been told in a different way, and you didn't see it. For many would look with their eyes and not see, and listen with their ears, but not hear, and with your heart, not get the sense of it. Of course, what's the name of Africa before it was called Africa? There was, um, yeah, I know, there were, two, there were two words for it. One was called chemi, chemi, from which we get alchemical or chemistry. But there was another, wait a minute, the land of Syriac. And, well, that's right, it wasn't called that, but I'm saying that it was referred to by many people as the land of Syriac. From well, yeah, the word today Africa probably is because yeah, what what Africa comes Africa comes from the Greek for black Africa. Then you had in here Afroof Roof is birth canal. That's what the the Yoni symbol. Yeah, of course it was. Yes, called Roof from whence you get the name Roof. Yes, all right. Then Ka. And then you get the word truth from Ruth. Afruka, all right? Uh, the black soul mother. Yeah. A black mother soul. That's according to J.A. Rogers. But there's also many, many other writers, oh. many other authors, many authors. Yeah, we haven't been told half of it. Oh, wait a minute, I got the wrong thing here. Let's start with this one. You realize how many people have went to church and bringing money and giving money to the ministers and paying for all the church and paying for this and paying for that for the church and come to find out and all the time the ministers know this 
It just ain't telling you. But hell, it beats working, don't it? Well, can't knock that. Don't knock it. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's incredible. Oh, yes. Oh. What were you going to do with this? Are you going to be. No, no, I know, no, no. I'm talking about the film itself. Oh, good. Okay. I have so many people coming in on a lot of things I do. People come in and take them and end up, they're being sold in France somewhere or something. <laughs> They're yours, that's all right. Anyway, let's get back to it. 